0: 411 Live. Where well, you can learn about issues that affect us every day. Stay the world. 411 Live. Real people, real talk. Made to help people in our community in every way.
1: For your girl. Oh, 411 Homicides have more than doubled this year in the city of Milwaukee compared to the same time last year. And 40% of those homicides are related to domestic violence. There's a spike during coronavirus. Hello, I'm Beverly Taylor, and this is The 411 Live, Real People, Real Talk. We have a lot to discuss on what's going on as far as violence is concerned. Joining me is Arnita Holloman, and she is a licensed counselor, and she is also the recast program manager of the Office of Violence Prevention for the City of Milwaukee. Anita, thank you for joining us.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: As I was mentioning, this is according to Journal Sentinel, as of May 18th, there were 56 homicides this year compared to 26 the same time last year, more than half domestic violence, including 10 victims from two mass shootings. This is disturbing. Would you agree?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh,
1: What is... What is happening? Is it desperate situations or escalating conflict?
0: So I think we're seeing a combination of things. There is definitely a situation or times when desperate situations increase um, conflict or um, violence in relationships and families. Um, And most of the homicides that we see in Milwaukee are interpersonal um, related. Um, So there's some conflict that has happened and that then has escalated to gun violence Um, Likewise with domestic violence, you know domestic violence is not a new phenomenon. I I think that um, with the pandemic, as well as the stay-at-home orders, while it's important to help, you know, slow the spread of coronavirus, the problem that we feared and we're seeing is that um, people who um, are in unhealthy and violent relationships are being harmed, and so unfortunately, there have been a number of murders, uh, homicide, or yeah, domestic violence-related homicides that we're seeing in the city. And, um, it's, it's a combination of, you know, the living, being in that close space with each other for an extended period of time, there's more opportunity to, um, have situations that will cause conflict. Um, and so, you know, and then, you know, people are not able to get out to some of the safe spaces they might be able to go to normally, um, you know, while they're in the stay at home order.
1: Do you think that's in, in a lot of these cases, um, this kind of behavior was already prevalent, but now it just went up a notch
0: absolutely. I, you know we can't say that you know during a the pandemic, then all of a sudden you know people became abusive toward their partners. It's more likely that there was already a pattern of abuse. even if that abuse was not initially physical, there was likely already a pattern of abuse mm-hmm. that again escalated. Or has continued on and, um, again, where people don't have the outlets that they traditionally do, um, there may be more incidences of violence.
1: And then I guess when you throw in the elements of unemployment, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing, um, you know, people not getting a paycheck, trying to figure out where they're going to get the meal, what they need to do to do that, those stressors, too.
0: Absolutely. So, stress is definitely um, a risk factor when it when you're thinking about unhealthy relationships or domestic violence. Um, so, people, when you when they are stressed, they may. Um, you know, get frustrated, and if they don't um, do a good job of taking care of themselves, handling their anger or frustration or stress or uncertainty or any of those things, then what happens is people um, resort to displaced anger or displaced aggression. So basically taking their um, anger, aggression, frustration out on their significant other or other family
1: members. I'm definitely putting your licensed counselor hat on you. Um, So what can people do? Because, well, we're slowly coming out of that, you know, stay at home and that confinement. Uh, Milwaukee is a little slower than some other uh, areas. But what do you do to de-escalate? So
0: one thing is recognizing that you can only control your behavior. And so I always want to let people know that if you are in a relationship where you are being harmed, that it's not your fault and you are not responsible for um, helping that other person to deescalate. However, if there are tools that you know work with that particular partner or person in your home, then you'd wanna use those to keep yourself and others in the family safe. Um, the other thing is remembering that um, what would be helpful is understanding what really, what is a violent relationship? What is a you know unhealthy relationship? And when we think about domestic violence, we're typically thinking, Physical violence, And there are a lot of people that are being harmed, but there are no physical marks, but there are emotional and psychological wounds. Um, and we think if we kind of look at the, the, the types of violence when it comes to domestic violence and educate people and help them become aware of what that looks like, Sometimes people are able to take back some of their own control because domestic violence is all about power and control. Um, and depending on the situation, people may have an opportunity to do some of that without
1: being severely harmed. Some people may not realize that they're being, you know, abused, you know, because it's 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 verbal, it's not physical, you know, the, the, those kind of dynamics.
0: Yeah. So verbal. So the name calling, the put downs, the kind of demeaning remarks, Um of course, there is you know the the physical, verbal, um, financial abuse. So if you're not allowed to control the finances, make any um, decisions about the finances, you only get an allowance, but it's not really suitable. Are, there are a number of ways that you can abu- be abused by a partner financially. There's stalking, harassment, um, using the children against you. Um, so there are all these different ways that sometimes people. That, also like the isolation, so isolating you from other family members and friends. So there are a number of different ways um, that violence might show up in a relationship and people may not know that it really is domestic violence.
1: Yeah. And we're talking about, you know, we, when we say domestic violence, we're thinking about the significant other spouses, adults, mm-hmm. but then there's violence mm-hmm. against children and children are not going to school and children are all at home and we're all gathered together. And they can be at risk.
0: Absolutely. So it's, you know, it's not surprising, I'm sure, that where you find domestic violence, you'll also find just family violence in general or child abuse. Mm -hmm. So perpetrators of domestic violence are more likely then to abuse their children. The other misconception or myth at times is that parents may believe that their children don't know what's going on. And so children may be exposed to the violence. And so that in and of itself is is violent, you know, if you are exposed to it. Um, But then there are family members that may not be romantic partners. So if we look at the, consider the situation of the mass shooting um, last month, I believe it was, or a few weeks ago. um, So that person murdered not just their significant other, but other children, as well as um, other family members. And so family violence, we don't talk about as much. We typically kind of put it into the domestic violence bucket or the child abuse, but sometimes people are abusive to their sisters, their um, parents, uh, so other family members or people that are living within the same space.
1: That's a good point. That's a very good point. Let me I'm going to step back a bit and just talk about, your title because explaining your title really kind of explains a lot about the Office of Violence Prevention. Uh Recast Program mm-hmm. Manager. What does recast mean?
0: Recast means resiliency in communities after stress and trauma. And so it's the name of my title, but it's because of the grant that we received from SAMHSA, so the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. So a federal grant. That OVP received, um, it was for $5 million, so $1 million a year for five years, really to focus on the mental health and well being, promoting resilience, justice, equity within um, communities, neighborhoods with youth and families, so youth 12 to 24 and families that are at risk of experiencing trauma. And so we do that um, by focusing those efforts in the 10 priority neighborhoods that are outlined in the Blueprint for Peace. Um, And so while we focus on those priority neighborhoods and youth and families that are at risk for experiencing trauma, we still serve the entire city.
1: Right. And through that, you partner with a Mm -hmm. a lot of groups that are on the ground, right? Yes. So with those
0: funds, we're able to do some partnering that we wouldn't otherwise be able to do. And for some um, smaller grassroots organizations, they may not have would be able they, they wouldn't be in the position perhaps to. Get a federal grant because they're smaller and in terms of capacity. So we partner with programs in the community in the community we have some core partners like the parenting network or um, uh, employ milwaukee um, uh, Community advocates that their public policy institute does trainings um, that are recast sponsored. And so we have um, My sister's keeper flood the hood with dream. So some of the smaller organizations that we know are doing considerable work um, amazing work in the community with youth um, with parents, and they um, were able to provide some funding for them to either expand or continue the work that they're doing.
1: Right. And one of those groups, uh, one of those groups, I think, deals with um, sex trafficking survivors. Is that correct? My Sister's Keepers, is that so the one I'm thinking about? My Sister's
0: Keeper, that's um, Tina Nixon and Shelly um, Conley. So they work with young ladies primarily. And so the, the young folks that they work with um, are, you know, oftentimes, you know, in, they work with schools, but they also work outside of schools. So they're dealing with some of the heavy things that um, young people are experiencing, but don't maybe don't have the language to talk about, or they don't have the opportunity or the safe space. And so they're both poets. They do some amazing workshops with youth. And really what's beautiful also about the work that they do is that they continue those relationships. So it's not just, we come and we do this and we're gone. Um, and they sincerely have a heart for the work that they do. So um, they're helping young people really find their voices, okay. um, learn a new kind of creative tool to use, but also then extending from that when they share difficult things, um, they're able to connect them to additional resources or get connect them back to us so we can get them connected to those additional resources in the
1: community. Right. Right. If they feel that safe they're in a safe place they're more they're willing to disclose um yeah. the 414 life that group
0: so 414 life um so we're partners and 414 life is a team of violence interrupters and so it's a partnership between the office of violence prevention uniting Garden homes and frederton the medical college and so they um are people that are out in the community um that are, you know our native most i think all of them are native of milwaukee they know people in the community they have in some many cases been on the other side of you know creating problems in the community but now they are um, they're working to stop the violence specifically um, gun related violence so the interrupters um, work to uh, interrupt retaliatory violence they're they are outreach workers so they're out you know, doing specific outreach um, things in the community, they're the the interrupters portion, and then hospital response. So that again, that hospital response is also that partnership with Fredo and Medical College. So Tania Liddell is the responder, or the primary responder because any of them can, she's the primary responder. And so if someone gets shot in the city of Milwaukee within a particular age range, And then they will page her from the hospital, and then she goes to the hospital to meet with them, connect with them, their families, to provide um, resources. And she also does an amazing job of extending her work and really keeping up with those families. And so what we've seen is we've seen a number of interruptions. Um, They're over a year now, the team, you know, since it started, um, and I don't know the exact number of interruptions. I'm sure there are over well over a hundred now in terms of interruptions. And um, I know me has worked with you know well over a hundred families um, that have been victims of gun violence.
1: So they're stopping the retaliation. Correct. So oftentimes when we see violence in the community, particularly when
0: there's gun violence and then it happens in kind of clusters or you think you see things happening back to back. Sometimes I can't say that always, but sometimes it's because there's retaliation. So one person is shot for whatever reason and then friends or family members or that particular person wants to to retaliate. Um and so that's where the interrupters will step in. They will use their connections. They're they are credible messengers um, because of their experience, because of um how well they're connected to the community. Um and so they've been able to stop a number of, of shootings from happening.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. And it's very um great. And you know, I feel good knowing that all of these different organizations are around, and I can see the necessity for your role. Because when you have so many, there's always that, um, that chance that people are working in silos and they don't mm-hmm. exactly know who else is doing what. And having somebody with that knowledge to kind of coordinate the efforts, that is huge.
0: Yeah, so, you know, we work together, you know, 414 OVP, we, we're, we're separate teams, but we, we often see ourselves as kind of one, we work so closely together and we, you know, it's a close partnership. Um, but there's also the trauma response team. And so that's a, a part, that's a collaboration between the Office of Violence Prevention and Milwaukee County um, Behavioral Health or, um, and, and so the trauma response team, those team members um, receive referrals if there is a child or youth that have experienced something that is traumatic. So perhaps, you know, for example, with the recent um, shooting at um, Walgreens, so the woman that was murdered at Walgreens by her partner, there were um, young people that witnessed it, unfortunately. And so what will happen is we will make a referral to the trauma response team. And so that started out where it was first responders that were trained to make those referrals, but now that has been expanded and any community community member um, can make that referral. And so they will connect with that the, the parent guardian um, make the connection with the young person. So again, they're pri- they're providing some primary support, and it's important whenever someone has experienced something that could be traumatic mm-hmm. that there's early intervention. And so the trauma response team is able to do that with youth and children. And then in my role, while you know it may not have been spe- the specific design of it because. Uh, because I'm a therapist by nature, then, if there are adults that have um, experienced something that that is traumatic and they are open to um you know mental health services, then I will connect them with um, providers in the
1: community. It's so great that they res- they have expanded the responders because um you know, when somebody is going through something and their first contact is maybe a police officer who is trained um. But the person may not want to talk to them because they may not feel comfortable sharing. So having other people involved as well, I think, is really important.
0: Yeah, precisely. Um, And it's a difficult time. So if you have experienced something traumatic, you've lost a loved one to something traumatic, what happens typically, there are a lot of people that are contacting you. And so oftentimes people will forget. Because there's so many people that have called, reached out, they wanted to interview them, or it's a part of the investigation, um, or they're, you know, contacting them for resources, if they, you know, see if they need resources. And so what, the other part of what we're working to do um, is is bringing those you know, groups together. So you mentioned like sometimes we're working in silos. And so we convene a crisis response, you know, team. And really this is already people that are already in the community doing this kind of work. But what we do is we have this convening to bring all of us together. So OVP, 414, that includes the Salvation Army, the DA Victim um, Advocates or Office, um, some, you um, uh, community activists that are doing the work. And so bringing all of these folks to the table that are already doing some of this work helps us to coordinate so we're not tripping over each other. So we can, you know, we're making sure that what's needed is covered, but that we're not covering the same things. All of this. So we want to make the process for families um, as smooth as possible in a, in a very, very difficult and sometimes tumultuous time, we want to be more of a support than, you know, uh, an irritation because there's so yeah. many people calling or, you know, checking in.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. We're going to take a short break. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about a little bit more. Um, well, we have a lot to talk about, but I wanna, want you to walk me through a scenario, too, when we come back. So stay with us. You're watching the 411 Live. Real people, real talk.
0: Okay. where's your emergency everyone's on the way what happened you know your
1: not you could be spreading the coronavirus without realizing you have it. So follow guidance from authorities where you live and do your part. It's important to limit in-person interaction with anyone outside of your immediate household, but phone and video chat are safe ways to connect. It's also important to limit any social gathering. This advice applies to people of any age, including teens and younger adults. Visit coronavirus.gov for the latest information. Welcome back to the 411 Live. We are talking with Arnita Holloman with the Office of Violence Prevention for the City of Milwaukee. Um, I want to, and you've kind, really uh, touched on it, but looking at a scenario. So you mentioned the uh, mass shooting where five people were killed. Um, and I think it was 12th and Locust maybe. Uh, and then we had the shooting outside of Walgreens where a woman was killed. And you have all the residuals. So Walgreens, you have a woman killed outside of the store, but you have her coworkers and, you know, all these people connected to her who are traumatized by this. And, of course, you have the family who's traumatized by this. So what, I guess I'm wondering, how do all these players come, these partners that, how do you, (coughs) get into that situation?
0: So there are a number of ways. So when we get information that um, there has been uh, a shooting, or so for example, the mass shooting or the Walgreens um, homicide, we will um, sometimes be there on the scene. So OVP was there a little more frequently prior to um, 414 Life. Now, since 414 Life is, you know, doing more of the on the boot, the boots on the ground work in the community, um, and we still do, but but they are taking some of that space because that's more their lane. Um, they will respond often to the scene. Sometimes we're their mixture of OVP 414, um, then the Salvation Army. i the chaplain. Uh, Pastor Alexis is. Um, over the chaplains for the Salvation Army, she'll typically get information or a call from MPD letting them know. And so they will respond. Um, And then there are other folks who know for different, you know, they may have received the information from different sources um, or social media or whatever. So there may be community activists like Bob Mays or other folks that show up at the scene. So we're there then on the scene, in some cases, providing support, um giving in our information, providing resources that we can in that moment, also collecting information so that we can follow up with family okay. And so then what we try to do is make sure that each piece is touched in terms of who was there, who lived in the home, who witnessed it, who was impacted by it is in as much as we could tell because for every person that experiences something traumatic, there's often 200 people that, are affected by that. So if you think about all the people you are connected to in whatever many ways that you are connected, it's not just happening to you. You're the primary person, but other people are also impacted by that event. So there may be a young person who was not at the scene, or not there when it happened, but they live in the home, right. where they are closely connected to that person. So we wanna make sure that we're reaching as many of those touch points as we can, getting them connected to the trauma response team, connected connecting them to mental health services um, in the community. Um, the DA uh, Victim Advocates Office will contact them around um, crime victim compensation and other things. Um, and so we all kind of, you know, work our individual lanes around that. And then we coordinate to try to make sure we're not, you know, overstepping or we're not um, just adding, you know, both all doing the same thing. And so that will look different at different times. So in addition to what we do in terms of the initial crisis response and the initial connections with those families or those persons, we also, OVP also convenes a group of faith partners or faith leaders within the community because we know there are a lot of, churches, synagogues, mosques, um, temples that are doing great work in the community. But how do we bring all of those folks together so that there's a coordinated um, effort there? And so again, people are in silos. And so bringing the faith group together is another extension of what we're able to do and how we're able to reach community members and respond and have some longer term touch points where a faith group, may be able to stay connected in the longer term. um, And so it doesn't feel so disjointed for families. um, And we'll make the soft handoffs, all of those things, so that they know that this just didn't happen to them, that it happened to the community, that we care, that they are loved, they are supported and whatever way that anyone can help, that that help is there.
1: Wow, that's great. That is great. Let's touch on the uh mental health aspect, because, you know, we're talking about they're seeing this stuff, trauma Mm -hmm. that causes trauma. And then you've got the adverse childhood trauma. You know, there are different things in our community that is contributing to some of the violence that we see. I remember when I was a a reporter for uh, Fox six, doing a story on the inner city and mental health and, you know, folks needing that, but not knowing where to get it. Or, uh, and this is not just, you know, in the inner city, this is anywhere, that stigma that is, that's associated with mental health. You know, we don't say anything when somebody cuts their arm and they go to the doctor. So, it, it sh- to me, it should be the same if you've had a traumatic experience to seek help. That should not be looked upon or frowned upon. Um, but sometimes it is.
0: Absolutely. In many ways, it it has been and still is. I think we are making progress, though. We're we're making some headway because we are more aware of mental health and mental illness and and we're having the conversation. I don't think we've made a a significant enough transition into actually um, utilizing the services in the way that we probably should. But I do think it's great that we're having the conversation. And so in, in terms of the stigma, there's stigma in different communities around different things. Um, it, but particularly um, black, brown communities, you, and not to say that it's not in other communities, but definitely that stigma around, you know, you don't want to be considered crazy or called crazy or to think that something's wrong with you or that it, it's the notion that something you are deficient or flawed in some way which could not be further from the truth. And so I don't use the word crazy just even in my regular language because the reality is is that as a therapist working with people who have experienced whatever they experienced or based on how their brain is functioning in terms of their chemical and hormonal functioning, people do the best they can every moment that they know to do for themselves. And it's not crazy to respond to voices that aren't there for everyone else, but in your brain, they are really there. And so there's nothing crazy about responding to that because it would be crazy if, you know, I sat here and you're talking or, or just rude, if you kept asking me questions and I didn't respond. Yeah, No one thinks me responding to your questions is crazy because you're asking me something. I can hear you. I'm now muted. So that's the same thing in someone's brain who has a psychotic disorder their brain is functioning in a way that that re that is very real for them. And so at any rate, the issue is around, you know, the stigma around not wanting to be crazy or, you know, seen as flawed. And we've got a really work. We've got a long way to go, but we've definitely made some progress.
1: How are we as far as availability?
0: So as far as availability, um, there are definitely places people can go for treatment. Um, when it comes to inpatient treatment, this is a countywide that there there are not enough treatment beds. When it comes to psychiatric treatment beds for substance abuse, um, for you know homeless people who are homeless, for any of those things, there are not enough shelters or treatment beds. And so that is one thing that as a, a, um, not just as a city, but as a county, as a state that, you know, we were grappling with and there needs to be some progress there. But in terms of like, if you want individual outpatient treatment, there are definitely a lot of resources there. Um, And what I tell people too is because sometimes people are brave enough or have enough courage um, to seek treatment and it doesn't work out with the first person. Um, And so what I tell people is, it's just like if you went to any other doctor, like, have you ever changed a doctor before? Like, "Eh, we really don't vibe or I don't feel like my doctor's listening to me or any of those things. We would be more likely to find another doctor. People, when it comes to mental health treatment, are less likely to find another therapist or psychologist. They'll just call it quits. And so I try to remind people, it's the same thing. If you go to a a restaurant and you don't like their food or you don't like their service, you're not going to stop eating. (laughs) So we have to, you know, really think about that and prioritize our mental health and well-being. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: What, uh, as you look at the community of Milwaukee, what are we, is there anything that pops in your mind that we're missing, we're not doing, you would like to see more of um, that would help? So I would definitely
0: like to see more availability of services, um, but also in terms of, you know, I've been, I think, for a while, and more so lately since the pandemic hit. Just really, it's been you know heavy on my heart around um, how mental health services are um, not just the availability, but people's accessibility. Right. So if you don't have the means, um, or if you have insurance, does your insurance even cover mental health care? So when we think about mental health parity, that's a huge issue. And so even if your mental health, I mean, your um, health care covers. Um, mental health treatment does, you know, will it cover if you need um, prescriptions? So if you need um, psychotropic medications or you need, you know, a a medication related to a mental illness, will it cover that? Um, Some other types of insurances don't cover mental um, health-related illnesses. When we look at, you know, um, even unemployment compensation, if you, uh, it's, I've heard that it can be done, but it's an uphill battle to really get compensation, if you are in, if you are traumatized by your work or in the course of doing your work, and so there's so much, we have so much further to go. I mean, even if we look at the the whole pandemic and all of the concessions that have been made um, related to health care, most people don't think about mental health when they think about health care. When they think about healthcare providers. Most people are not even including therapists, psychologists, psychiatrists. And so that's a part of healthcare. We cannot separate our brain and our emotions from the rest of our body, right? And so when we think about taking care of ourselves, that has to be, we, we have to, you know, there needs to, it, it has to be parallel when we're thinking about mental health and physical health, and also understanding that mental health doesn't mean bad health. And so sometimes there's also, you know, just awareness and education around that. Just like we have physical health, we have mental health. So you can be physically well, or you can be physically ill, right? Mm-hmm. So the same thing with mental health. You can be mentally well. So you can be doing well psychologically, emotionally, and there's a spectrum. Like anything else, you may be moving towards you know, where you're not doing as well. but but it's okay. And getting treatment is okay. And continuing treatment. And and that means if you have to go to a therapist for three years, then keep going in the same way that you continue going to chemo or you continue getting dialysis. We're not shaming people for that. And so no one should feel shamed or ashamed or afraid um, to seek mental health services. I agree.
1: I agree. Let's circle back from where we started because uh, we're about to Um, run out of time, but at the beginning, I talked about there being almost double the number of homicides now compared to last year, this time. So, violence is prevalent. We talked a little bit about that, what, maybe 40% related to domestic violence, and we talked about that a lot. What are your parting thoughts on the city, violence, you know, what you would like to see or what you would like to remind people of?
0: I want to remind people that um, Milwaukee is a beautiful city with amazing people and not to give up hope on our city, which basically means giving hope on each other, giving up hope for each other, giving up hope for ourselves. And so I often hear people say, you know, like I'm leaving Milwaukee. Um, And if everybody leaves, then who's here to really help do the work that needs to be done? Mm We all need each other, and so we have to really learn how to work as a collective, um, as a community, and support each other, and recognize that some of the things that we see, the illnesses that we see manifested, are just that. Sometimes that is uh, a representation of the hurt and the harm that has been caused to them. And then it is it is spilling out to other people and into the community. And so I just just remind people like this is a beautiful place to be, um, and not just because we're on the lake, but because there are beautiful people that are here. And so we need to start to embracing that and embracing that
1: beauty. There's work to be done, but we can do it. We can do it. Absolutely. Precisely. Yeah, Arnita Holloman, thank you for joining us really yes, Thank you
0: for having me. It's a pleasure.
1: You have been a pleasure. Arnita is the, um, she's a licensed counselor, as we've mentioned, and she's the recast program manager of the Office of Violence Prevention for the city of Milwaukee. And again, we thank her for joining us. And we thank you for joining us for another episode of the 411 Live, Real People, Real Talk. We are a nonprofit organization. So if you feel so inclined, please go to our website and donate. That's the411live.org. And you can find previous episodes on any podcast platform. We're there, so subscribe. For now, I'm Beverly Taylor. This is the 411 Live. Real people, real talk. See you next time.